Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King, and you're listening to the Photography Podcast dedicated to getting you out there on an adventure of your own. I know that all of you have full-time jobs, full-time families, but you bought that camera for a reason. So pack your gear, grab your camera, get out there, get a flat tire. It's time for a Photog Adventure of your own. It's episode 161, and I have returned from the last workshop of 2020. So now if I want COVID, I can go get it. It's not going to be something that I'm afraid of sharing. I haven't necessarily been quarantining intentionally away from people because of my life situation. I live alone and I don't have any groups of friends that I'm getting out to right now. I'm focused on work, recuperation, divorce processing, surviving and paying the bills. That, that's my focus right now. And so when I'm thinking about how I've spent the last several months preparing for these final workshops, other than intentionally avoiding contact with my two kids and my ex-wife because they got sick a month ago, and then turned out my ex-wife had a little bit of COVID, but it was an easy, set, it was an easy form of it because, man, it can be devastating. And so it was scary, but she was okay. She got through it. My kids never had it, so it was wise. It was wise to avoid them. So it's kind of like I have been quarantining to be safe for these workshops. And so it has been a relief to know. Made it through all of them. No one has it. I don't have it. And if I want to venture out and do more activities, which, as you all know, none of us are doing that for a little while, but the vaccines are good. So that's the last of COVID news. But, man, it's exciting to be at the end of 2020. Oh, don't say anything, Aaron. I'm knocking on wood right now. I'm not going to say anything more than that. It's just great to have the workshops that were able to happen in the past and looking forward at the workshops that were canceled in 2020, get replaced in 2021, fulfilled and have a blast with all of you then. So I admit to having a lot off my shoulders right now. I do have some secret project that I'm having fun with right now. I just got off the phone with my secret project project partner that is not a single person. It's a business. But I have this fun project that's going to be a blast to get out there. And I'm going to try and finish up my work on that this week. So, <laughs> yes, I'm excited to tell you about that. Once it's actually in an existing product, I'm going to tell you about it. I'm not going to make the same mistake I made with my work, my Milky Way course back in 2017. I'm not going to make that same mistake. You guys are going to see a product, kaboom, and know about it at that point. So all of you friends out there that I've been hanging out with, neglecting, and not seeing because UK would not let you guys come out or not let me join you in awesome islands off the African coast, I miss you. I'm stoked to see you again. Let's get back out in life in 2021. And as I look at what's coming for the future, I see a whole calendar full of opportunities where I used to be a Milky Way core elitist where, okay, well, you know, after that point in January, I start to see it, but in February, I get my first picture, and by October and November, I take a few, you know, fun for whatever pictures, but then I'm just done, and that time is right now. There's no core again until this until January, so what do I do? What do I do? I am definitely 100% going to do deep sky, deep sky and aurora chasing, and if you read the, the title of this podcast, This podcast title comes from Mary Beth Kaczynski. This is something she famously kept saying over and over again in the workshop this last week, saying, I would rather be a crack addict than an Aurora chaser. It is true. It really can be frustrating because you could get crack, 
But to be an Aurora chaser, the withdrawals, the negligence, the constant need, it hurts. And as you can guess, Mansoor, thankfully, man, you and I will get a chance to see Aurora where myself, Cheryl, Dat, Shane, Anastasia, and John, and Kathy, all of us did not see Aurora. Technically, we did. And I'll mention that here in the podcast here at one of the segments, but (sighs) Aurora chasing a vicious, brutal mistress, a hater, a child who reg- who doesn't have any gratitude for you. It is a friend that just never texts you back. Aurora. Oh, what a fun, terrible thing. But I got to experience something I had never seen in my life. And any of you who are around the area of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and you know it, Being a youper and joining the youpers, that was a lot of fun. So let's get going talking about the experience of Aurora chasing in the Upper Peninsula, talking about what went well and what didn't go well, as well as share a little bit of stories here and there from the workshop and prepare everyone for the thoughts of what are you going to do in December and what out there is interesting and is there something out there that maybe I captured this last week and that can actually kind of get boring. And how do you spread out? How do you go further? And I'm going to let you guys know in this episode. So let's get rolling. The Upper Peninsula of Michigan is connected only by some weirdo packed in the past. You drive through Wisconsin and you think, how is Wisconsin given up this section of land to Michigan. Michigan doesn't touch it except for the Mackinac Bridge there. So why? How? And it's a story that I don't know the full story of, so I won't summarize here. But that land is beautiful. It is not desolate by any means, full of trees. But it is out in the middle of nowhere, the sticks. You know, you can you kind of transition from the busy Chicago, Illinois city, and you go north, you enter Wisconsin, farmland everywhere. At one point where we were driving in, I looked over and saw this beautiful cloud opening where the sun rays came down and this giant classic Wisconsin farm and barn were just majestically silhouetted by the sky. And, you know, I got back into my lane instead of the lane that I had drifted into and couldn't believe how I wish I could just pull over there and get that picture or go closer and capture that. Beautiful terrain, um, amazing situation of clouds, no clouds, 70-degree weather, 18-degree weather, wind pushing Mary Beth out of control in a spiral as she tries to recover to completely flat, boring, nothing going on from surprisingly one of the darker skies I've ever seen doing Milky Way photography to a marine layer blowing it up on the coasts of Lake Superior. It is is quite a magical tour. If you guys have spent some lockdown days and you're safe and you have just the need to go somewhere but not go far and you're within driving distance of the Upper Peninsula, I 100% recommend it. Yes, I went there, and there was some snow at the very end of the trip. And so you might go in a few weeks and find out that they have 17 feet walls of snow, and that makes a difference. But if you can go there on a good day or if you have a good vehicle for driving through, you know, easily plowed, often plowed passageways, but then you got a snowmobile to go off in the other cool areas, you will have a blast. So in short, our trip 
we were pushed by a cloud bank that was threatening the east side of the Upper Peninsula going towards Mackinac Bridge, and we ended up not going any more, any further east than Munising. If you know the area, you come up from Green Bay, go through Escanaba, and then there is Marquette and Munising up there at the north shore, or I said south shore of Lake Superior, but the north edge of the Upper Peninsula. And knowing and munising that the weather was opening up behind us, but was getting thicker and thicker as the clouds were moving across towards the east, we went west. Most of our workshop was planned to stay in the east side, but we had options to go west if we could, and Mary Beth had brilliant options for us to choose from. In fact, she constantly said leading up to this workshop, it's too bad we can't go to Copper Harbor. I'd love to go out to Eagle Harbor up there and experience the beautiful, beautiful sights that I love, this beautiful lighthouse. I love the terrain. I love the views in Copper Harbor. It's too bad you can't see it. And we're thinking, yeah, you know, it's kind of far, huh? We'll be over here in Marquette, Munising, Whitefish Point. We'll come over here to Kichitikipi. We had all these other options on the east that we wanted to focus on, and it just didn't happen that way. It ended up being so cloudy and fighting the clouds, and if we wanted to, we can go over here and get away from it, and that's how it went. Up until the last two nights, and and actually, no, yep, completely, because that night, last night did not clear up. Up until the last two nights, we were on one night, off one night, on one night, off one night. So it just went back and forth. It was a toggle. Clear night. Then it's a cloudy night. Clear night. Eh, back to cloudy night. Clear night. Oh, now it's raining and it's snowing and you wake up in a winter wonderland. And that was fun. So if you're up in the Upper Peninsula, I recommend going to every waterfall you can. They're all different, unique. You're kind of shocked that without the big rolling hills or mountains that they have so many waterfalls. But Taquamendon Falls is beautiful. There was Eagle River Waterfall, which I think is the name of it there, by Eagle River Museum. That one's an awesome waterfall that you can capture from parking, walk over on the bridge or go down the hill right there at the base, and even capture a Milky Way behind it certain months of the year. So fantastic waterfalls. One of my favorite waterfalls was a trickle. It was a trickle that's normally far less powerful than it was right now as they've had tons of water, tons of moisture, and it led to the entire group crossing a dangerous, precarious log bridge. Well, not really a bridge. You're giving it too much credit to call it a bridge. A log that was, you know, precariously wedged in a way that if you put your weight in the wrong place, spot you could roll it and then fall into the water so everyone crossed it carefully and then went out and behind the waterfall and it was in this beaut. in fact I'm going to use that picture for this thumbnail so look at the thumbnail if you're over on Facebook if you're looking at it from soundcloud.com you're going to see this in fact some of the apps like Alexa Echo or some of the other services that show your podcast will show a cover art that I uploaded for that particular episode so check it out maybe you're seeing it right there with what you're using right now to listen to me that picture is um, what falls was it Clark Falls Stewart Falls I have no idea I'll have to look up on the GPS later and then put it in the notes but it's this really cool right off the street that you pull over, you park off the edge in the shoulder, and then you hike down, walk 10 feet down into it. And from inside, behind the waterfall, it has a slanted ceiling of rock that have all these square, harsh edges, you know, being eroded over time. And they look almost like an upside down um, Isle of Man, is it? With the really cool... Um, 
It doesn't have the hexagon shapes like the place I'm thinking of that I'm misquoting of the location, but it does have nice flat spots and cuts and everything is covered in a layer of green, green mold. Not mold as much as moss, moss. The moss was beautiful. So it was pretty. It was gorgeous. It was this banana-shaped opening that you can wedge yourself in there and enjoy looking out at the other side of the falls. And while we were there, Datlene showed me that, man, okay, my phone, I tend to turn my iPhone feature of Live View off. Live View is when you send a, um, you, you take a picture Leaving Live View on, it has about like a Harry Potter two-second kind of short clip with the picture. If you hold your thumb down on the picture, it'll just kind of loop that video. And so I tend to keep it off because I feel like the resolution of the image is different and not that great. So I kind of thought, oh, it's worse when it's Live View. Turn off Live View and take a nice solid picture. Turns out that when you look at the picture and use your thumb and swipe up and you see the GPS location all of that, if you had a live view picture taken and you swipe up underneath the image, it shows you effects that you can add to your image. If you're wanting to know more and this is confusing you too much to understand how to do it, just send me an email, Aaron at PhotogAdventures.com. I'll tell you what I'm talking about. But basically, if you capture the picture in live view and then look at that picture and swipe up, you're going to see effects that you can do, like a bounce, a loop. You can even blur, motion blur it. And so he showed me, he's like, hey, you can capture this waterfall with your iPhone and do a motion blur like you had a long, you know, ND filter for long exposure on the water and it blurs the water. Sometimes you can see the pattern of the copy that makes it look a little bit, you know, too, uh, it has that pattern too obviously and they come out as artifacts. But then at Taquamenon Falls, it looked brilliant, just perfect. And so it gave me an awesome waterfalls image like long exposure ND filter without that because it did the video and blended it for me. So that's a cool feature, Apple. Thank you very much. And so Dat showed me that. Every time I swiped up and looked at the GPS map of where the image came from, it never showed those effects. I wish it would just gray them out and say, hey, Here's some effects you could do had you captured this picture in Live View. Because since I decided long ago that Live View was going to yield in images that were going to be less quality, I haven't turned it back on in, I don't know, two phones. And so I was glad to see that. Thank you, Dat. That was awesome. So I captured the waterfall like that. I was capturing the group in there. I was getting myself wedged behind the full group, trying not to hit my head like Mary Beth did on the top of that little grotto that we were standing in. And there were six of us at least, maybe all seven photographers actually, all seven were in there with Mary Beth firing a shot off back with their cameras, and it was a really, really neat view. I loved it, and it's just something that if you get out there and there's waterfalls off the side of the road, pull over, enjoy them, some with beautiful wooden pathways to them, some with just open mud paths, some just right there off the road. There's a lot to capture, and so as we're going through off-weather, on-weather, off-weather, on-weather, every day was still good to see those waterfalls. But we're aurora-chasing. And if you haven't heard the previous episodes, I'll only mention it in passing. You'll have to listen to the episode with Aurora, with Mary Beth about Aurora, as well as looking on the YouTube page for that live stream I did about Aurora with her. If you want to track Aurora and plan for it, one one fantastic, magnificent site on the web, on the web is spaceweather.com. And we were just following that along with some space apps that she has on her phone that's checking the solar wind and all of that. Well... We're only going to mention the BZ, 
the BZ is this interplanetary magnetic field that's showing a number. It's going to be a positive number and north or a negative number and south. And so what we want is as far negative as we can get and south. And it's kind of an off-on switch the way that Mary Beth describes it. And I can vouch that the BZ is real. We were sitting there, and it changes. Don't look at it at the 7 o'clock at night and go, okay, tonight's BZ is going to be this. It changes every minute. It's constantly reporting new numbers. And so what I learned from Mary Beth on this trip is that if you see the BZ switch to the south, now you look at it and go, okay, and half an hour from now, let me check it again and see if that held. If it held, then no matter what KP number you have, there's something on the horizon, possibly. Now, you could be in a great location like northern Canada, Finland, Iceland, and see it even at a small KP number. Or you can have it like us on the southern coast of Lake Superior, where you're out at a Osable lighthouse. It's capturing fun of the Orion constellation over the lighthouse and seeing the great dark sky. And then you see the BZ drop. You double check it to see if the BZ stayed. You take a picture and you're like, oh, is that red airglow or is that red aurora? And that was a debate for a second. Like, no, now Mary Beth made a, a, an apt um, point. She made an observation that we can all remember. If you see heavy color in your image, but then with your naked eye, you're not seeing what looks like a little bit lighter portion or light pollution, you know it's most likely airglow and not aurora. For instance, Kathy, Rhonda, and I were out in the Faroe Islands. We went up to a great viewpoint. We thought there might be aurora out there, so we went and looked. And even before we captured with our camera, we're looking out there, and you see light. You see some glow. You just can't see the color of that glow, but you do see it as a white-gray glow. Faint sometimes, strong sometimes. You can even see it moving if it's doing as if it, the ribbons are very active. So you can see that, and it does come off kind of like a distant light pollution source. If you see the color in your image, but you don't see any of that with your naked eye, more, more than likely, it is going to be airglow versus aurora. So I was cut off, cut down at the knees when Mary Beth's like, no, that red stuff is an aurora. And I got biased because at spaceweather.com on my phone, it said, and we bring back red auroras. And they're reporting red auroras in Norway. And I'm like, hey, cool. Right now, the BZ South, and look at this, and it's red. It just happened to be red air glow. Dang it. And so it wasn't Aurora. It was red air glow. I got all excited about it. And I'm like, come on, Mary Beth, what do you think? Do you think it really is? And she was confident. However, hour later, another hour later, she's like, hey, look at this. It's actually happening. Let's check another picture. This time, the red wasn't alone. And this is another classic indicator that that's Aurora. When the red is meeting up with the green band, you know, as the green goes up, then it turns red in typical aurora, you're going to see green there as well. So if you know, that if, if you see green underneath the red on the horizon, you know you're looking at aurora, especially when this, the indications that a KP2 plus BZ South is happening, it was aurora. Unfortunately, it was so low on the horizon. It was right into the marine layer of Lake Superior and it just wasn't something you can compose an image around and be impressive by any means. In fact, the red air glow seemed even brighter than this red aurora. 
with the green on the bottom. It was something, but at this point, it was very late in the night. We had just come back from a three-mile round-trip hike, three-plus-mile round-trip hike, and everyone was tired, fighting with gear, fighting with that. Okay, so let's do our first what went well and what didn't go well. What went well with Aurora? We actually could see that the BZ going south really is like an on switch, and when it does, you can see Aurora, and it's really it's really successful in showing Aurora in your area, and you're looking for that and hoping for it. What didn't go well was that if the Aurora is a KP2 or a 1 and kind of faint or distant from where you are, composition with it is just a you know checkbox. Oh, I captured some Aurora. But it's been, you know, my first technical aurora was in Faroe Islands underneath an amazing aurora blast, but it was covered in clouds, and I never counted that because I didn't see it. Next, I saw in Iceland, and it was like this thin green, like static band that was off in the distance with nothing else exciting about it. I couldn't compose something interesting. Clouds underneath it with light pollution, clouds above it. But I could see the green line. And I'm like, mm, yeah, that's nothing special. Dang it, no. Um, so I didn't count that one. And so that night, for the group to come out of exhaustion, ready to sleep, get your camera gear out again, and go down to the water lapping at your beachfront, well, that just wasn't going to be worth it. It was the second night, third night of the workshop, second clear night of the workshop, and we're thinking, we've got opportunities in the future. Let's not squeeze, try and squeeze lemon out of a green-colored, pinkish-colored rock. It wasn't going to work out. So that was an unfortunate, didn't go well. And Mansoor, I keep referring to you because you were coming with us on the workshop and then situation came up that you couldn't make it. You didn't miss out. That night wouldn't have been the, oh, yes, I saw Aurora night. And so that was the best that we caught the entire week. The rest of the week was a battle of potential and failure. Coronal holes like you saw or you heard me talk about with Mary Beth in the previous episode. While they were there, they're kind of returning next week and not here. The big ones that have potential. In fact, if I look at my Aurora app right now while I'm recording, I can see that on Aurora Pro... The calculating my KP chance. It's an 8 KP index of 1. I have a 0% chance to see from Utah. But when you look at the forecast, it's got a 4 and a 4 and a 4 and a 3 and a 3 all from the 21st through 25th. That is the KP coming up predicted. It could be cloudy and you see nothing. It could have a BZ that's in the north and you see nothing despite being a big KP level. It also is possible that it's amazing. And so it's unfortunately... A week after our week, and that's just the, that's them's them's the ropes, them's the, what's the term that I always heard? Them's the them's the rub, them's them's the ropes. I can't think of it right now. Still a little exhausted from the week, even though I got some good sleep the last couple nights. But yeah, that's the thing. We are going to have multiple conditions to battle with. Multiple stars have to align to make it work out for Aurora, and it didn't. It didn't. And so that's it. That's the that's the deal. When you predict in the future that you can have a week and hope that it turns out, that's all you can do is be there for seven nights, be ready. And the last thing I'll say about Aurora chasing is that 
Be prepared to not sleep. Um, one thing that we couldn't do that I wish that I would have done if I was alone is not give myself other tasks other than composition, discovery, wait for Aurora. If I'm there, literally just for Aurora. If I had never captured the Milky Way band before, okay, do that. If I had never captured Orion before and other constellations or Andromeda Galaxy or say there's a moon up in your time that you're there, okay, play around with those if you've never done it before. But unless that trip was necessary, that you distracted yourself with anything else, I would skip all sunrises, maybe skip all sunsets, and only get out there during the prime opportunity for Aurora, find during the day your composition that you want with that Aurora at that location, and stake it out like it's a drug bust waiting to happen. Don't go anywhere. And honestly, I think that's what I'm going to do in the future when I go up to the UP. In fact, if I go back up there and hang out with Kathy and Mary Beth again, I'm sure they're not going to let me do this because they like to move around and try different things. But I'm literally going to go find my favorite composition, whether it's around Eagle Harbor or whether it's around a really cool other feature that we couldn't see because of weather. I I am going to just stake it out, plant myself, and sit in the car warm watching the aurora forecast, checking the sky. Okay, nope. Okay. And then once it's good, I'm out. I'm on it. And that's what I'm going to do. She has had great success zipping around in good weeks of aurora, but she has a, you know, 8-hour, 12-hour notice and she can get up there. And she can arrive there from home in Chicago and make it happen. And she has had fantastic success doing that. She is going to travel everywhere and squeeze the most out of it. And my method is going to be a lazier, I suppose, method of just hanging out and staking it out. Because if I want to see Aurora from here and I got seven nights for it to happen, I might just stay there the whole time. Unless clouds. Obviously, clouds push me to the location. That's the only thing that I'll let move me away from a composition that I would just love to see Aurora. Honestly, that's really what it comes down to is clouds and where the opening is in the sky. So Aurora chasing. Yes, rather be a crack addict than Aurora chaser because you can go everywhere. You can take three to four napkins and fill out all the weather possibilities at all the locations from all the different apps and all the different models and predictions and then choose the most likely location to have a clear sky But then you still have to deal with the aurora conditions that are changing every minute. On top of that, something amazing could happen that you weren't paying attention for and you can stop watching at 2 a.m. and go to bed and miss it. And that's something that, as serious as we were this week about aurora, once we hit our walls, we hit our walls. (sighs) So let me tell you about the consolation prize, the Orion Galaxy, and a comet. This comet, you are probably thinking Neowise. Neowise is not what happened here. This comet, Atlas Comet C2020M3, it was a green comet. If you've done comets in the past, you know what I'm talking about. It's just a green dot, a fuzzy green dot that you can see. No visible tail, no vis- nothing's visible to the naked eye. And this comet came through the Orion constellation. So it was a companion green dot that showed up in the Orion constellation. If you have never captured the Orion constellation and you've ever thought about an astromodded camera by an RA camera by something that's going to help you see the nebulosity of the red and pinks, do it. 
Because if you have a successful one, one that's working, that the focus is great, and you have it showing up all those reds and pinks, instantly from raw, and this is a major thing that went well, you can see all of it. We were seeing Horsehead Nebula. We were seeing, well, obviously Orion Nebula is impossible not to see. If you've ever captured it, you know what I mean. It's so bright. Barnard's Loop, Rosette Nebula, all were glowing on Mary Beth's camera with her with her modification that she has. It's amazing to see the difference between a modded camera and a non-modded camera. But as far as post-processing goes, you just change your method of post-processing and amount of numbers that you stack, and you can make it work. So tracking and capturing Orion was a blast. But I also got to report that, man, after like six or seven times, you kind of started to lose interest. <laughs> You're like... I could shoot Orion again, but do I want to? So the only thing we really had going for ourselves was that there's a comet going through that, so trying it again would have been fun. When the comet got the closest to Bellatrix, I know Orion's two stars that are main stars to me, Rigel and Beetlejuice. Those two stars I know, yellow Beetlejuice, white, blue, oh, Rigel, right? White, blue, Rigel. The other stars, not so much. Um... Now I know that Bellatrix is the one opposite of Beetlejuice at the top. And so Bellatrix is where the comet came right by. In fact, I'm looking at Space Weather right now. And if you go to spaceweather.com in the future, listen to this podcast, and you want to see the picture I'm referring to, you'll find a link to spaceweather.com in the notes, but it won't be for the correct day. So go on the top right of the page where you can see archives and change it to November 17th, 2020. And you'll see exactly the entire homepage of this date, and you'll see the blue star meets green comet section coming from photographer, um, looks like his name is Bumsuk Yom. Uh, Yeom, I don't know if he pronounces it Yeom like fast or Yeom, but he captured, or she actually, I don't know. Did they say he or she in this somewhere? She actually, I'm not certain what gender they are, but they captured an awesome image of Orion that just seeing the green dot blue fuzzy next to the bright blue white fuzzy of Bellatrix, and they're right on top of each other, really close. It looks really awesome. It's cool to have that. I mean, you can capture Orion any time of the year and see this except for that one extra which is that green fuzzy dot that is the comet so that was cool to see that passing by it was near the belt in our main first night and with orion being a focus i had a blast making sure people were focused had an had a composition with the wide angle shot of orion over the lighthouse but thank you cheryl cheryl let me borrow her tiffin fog filter if you're not familiar with the Tiffin Fog Filter or if you're not familiar with the effect that a thin cloud layer can give a star, all bright magnitude stars will pop off the page with the Tiffin Fog Filter. Has any of you gotten excited about a Big Dipper? You're like, oh, that looks really cool. I'm take a picture of that. You take the picture and realize, oh, it just looks like a thousand stars. I can barely even find the Big Dipper in there, honestly. Okay, I see those are them, but eh, it's not as cool as I thought it would be. To your naked eye, they really stand out compared to the rest of the stars because you can kind of turn off and on your your focus in a way. You're like your 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 purposeful look at the sky there versus the other stars around you. You can ignore them. Well, if you capture that image, that same image you really liked, but with a Tiffin fog filter on there, all of those bright stars of the Big Dipper will glow. Big 
glow outside the shape of their star, and it just looks amazing. Using a Tiffin Fog filter on Orion causes the orange color of Betelgeuse, the white-blue of Rigel, to really pop. And so you're not just seeing the stars that are brighter magnitude pop off the screen, but you're starting to actually see the colors entirely well, where before they kind of faded into a different white. You're going to actually see the colors. If you don't, in this case... This is really the only time I'll ever tell you this. But in this case, for night photography, I'll tell you to watch your ISO. You don't want to go too high on your ISO because you can wash out the colors of your stars. When we talk about a focus on the Milky Way core and getting a nice shot there and get your exposure right, the ISO is far more important than every star color in the image because you're not there for the star color in the image necessarily. You're there to see the Milky Way core. So my advice always is high ISO, go higher than you think. When your focus or your purpose is going to be the star color, bring that ISO down so you don't you know, basically blow them out into white. And you're going to like what you see with the Tiv and Fog filter too. Amber, yellow, blue, red, white. It really is quite fantastic. You've probably seen it in some of your star trails that you've captured where you start to see those different cup, copper colors, bluish, white. You're, you're, gonna, you're really going to like it with the Tiffin Fog Filter. Always wanted to buy one since 2014. Never did because the camera lens that I was using the most didn't have a screw-on filter. And the Rokinon, I was using less than my Tamron at the time. And then I got the divorce and didn't have money for gear. So it turned into something that was a bucket list item almost instead of just buying it right when I wanted it. And Cheryl let me use hers with the Tiffin Fog filter on my Rokinon 24mm and... <laughs> captured 10 images real quick on a time lapse with uh, just no fog filter and then I walked around to help with focus help tighten some L brackets we got our compositions you know myself and Mary Beth combined going around tripod to tripod then I come back to mine with a little bit of time so I can screw on the Tiffin fog filter and then capture it in fact I take back that comment about using the thumbnail being the green um hmm that's a bummer. No, just go to the notes. Go to the notes and you will see Orion. I will use the group shot because then you can see everybody, you know, there. So, yeah, if you're hearing the thing before, it's still true. And if you, you're paying attention to this part of the podcast, go to the notes and you will see that I have pictures of Orion and the lighthouse before the filter, after the filter. Understand that I didn't do a long exposure to get the, the the ground and everything in the lighthouse. I quickly slapped together a balanced composition, went back to tripods to help with the workshop, and then I came back, added the filter, captured the picture, and then walked around, let it time lapse a bit. So the, this isn't going to be a portfolio shot, but you'll see in the notes a link to see them side by side where you can see before and after, and it's cool. It's really cool. There's ways to make it even better by watching my ISO, by watching certain settings and composition or even different lens where I bring Orion even bigger in the frame. But with this one at a 24-millimeter Rokinon, 8,000 ISO, 8 seconds, this looks pretty dang cool. It, it's instantly obvious how interesting it becomes with the Tiffin fog filter. So another what went well, Tiffin fog filter. Man, I love that thing and I can't wait to buy my own. So in the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned what are we going to do in the next couple months and what would be interesting. Man, okay, deep sky Tiffin fog filter action is huge on my list throughout these long, dark, 
cold, crystal clear winter nights. Everyone knows that winter is more weather-filled, and so the reason why winter is not better for Milky Way, well, one, because the core is not up, but two, it's because the danged um, sky is typically filled with weather. I mean, right here in Utah, it was like 11, 11 nights of clear sky in December, one of the years that I was counting with my telescope, I think 2015 or 2014. And so it's true that the nights are crystal, they're more clear. They have a great, great resolution with the stars. And you have longer periods of dark, so you can be out there longer. It's just you're going to fight weather a lot. And so the fact that we had a clear night at All Sable, and we actually had um, nothing blocking our way, even on the horizon, many, in fact, I should just say all, all of us were commenting on that being one of their best, clearest nights ever seeing the sky in the cold is a great way to see a nice clear sky and if you're going to capture something like orion waiting for it to get to zenith is going to be even clearer for the low contrast objects than it would down at the horizon just because you deal with a lot of turbulence in the wind the seeing the transparency it's more difficult than when it gets higher in the sky so if you want to look at the planets wait till they're higher in the sky if you want to look at low contrast messier objects stuff that are you know dimmed galaxies that you can finally make out and resolve it's going to require sometimes going to the zenith to see them and so Orion over this lighthouse was nearly perfect and everyone was in love. An accidental okay shot resolved the Horsehead Nebula. That's how good it was and it got everyone excited. What didn't go well about capturing Orion in a beautiful clear sky is that you go long lenses on your tracker, you're going to have faults, weaknesses, slippery points in the way that your tracker is connected to the next portion of your gear. And it is frustrating, right, John? It is frustrating to have your gear fight back with laziness. When you have quitter gear and it's quitting on you in the middle of the process, nothing makes you want to more than just punt the dang thing into the, into the water. You're just tired of it. And yet your whole night feels ruined because you just can't get the dang thing to cooperate. How can I worry about my focus if my camera won't stay steady throughout the one-minute exposure on our track. Could be that your tracker, in some cases, you might find that you put a too heavy lens on it and it can't track longer than 30 seconds. Then you wonder, what's the point of tracking? It's only 30 seconds. But then you also could have a situation where you have loose, weak points on your gear, connected to gear, connected to ball head, connected to camera, that you need to work on fix and you know, work, make, make better as best as you can. So test your gear a lot this winter. You might find yourself needing to buy different gear just for the deep sky stuff. And so I'm going to have a friend on, Sean Maloney, who is redstickastro.com. Redstickastro.com, he's working on the site, kind of mid-progress. He's going to come onto the guild, and we're going to talk more about deep sky astro stuff. He does narrowband, which is brilliant, and it's a whole different process where you spend seven hours a night capturing images, and then you blend multiple nights at multiple times of the year all together, whatever you need to to get that shot. Uh, Cheryl showed me a shot off of a great telescope that was just an 80 millimeter, you know, effective distance of focal length, capturing the Rosette Nebula with her EOS RA, an astro modified. Well, you know, in astro intended it should be because it wasn't modified from the base model. It was created 
4 Astro. That on that telescope combined made a beautiful Rosette Nebula, but the reason why the Rosette Nebula looks so awesome, she captured the data and then a team, you know, helped her get that, you know, her friend Bray, I think she called him. He helped her with the post-processing and pics insight to make that show up. So all of us have great targets in the night sky. And if you're wondering what targets and you have a tracker, you most likely downloaded that, you know, PS Align Pro app. And that PS Align Pro app, Polar Scope Pro, you're going to see a DSO Galaxy icon on the main page. And you tap that. And you can go in and configure the data of the Deep Sky Object database. You can tell them which catalogs you want to use. If you hit configure on catalogs, you might have every single one of them chosen like I do. Like IC, NGC, Caldwell, Messier, all the named objects, named stars, a Sharpless 2 catalog, Herschel 4000 or uh, 400 catalog. If you have them all selected and hit done, you'll see the button at the very bottom say show data. And that will give you an idea of where all of these named objects are, or Messier objects. For instance, Crab Nebula, Messier 1. Messier 2 is NGC 7089. There's no name for it, but it is, um, it doesn't say exactly what it is. It's just an icon. I think that means it's a single galaxy, but not a spiral galaxy. There's some icons on here that I got to get used to because you got star clusters, galaxies, you have elliptical galaxies, you have ring nebulas, you have planetary nebulas, you have, oh, do, 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 I don't know what that is. That might be a black hole, but it won't be a black hole. It'll probably be a, it'll probably be a pulsar or something. I have to look up what that is. Nebulas, nebulas, planetary nebulas, you know, those uh, really cool subjects on here that you can spend your time capturing. Rob Bryan recently has been sharing a bunch of cool pictures that he's been doing without a tracker and just going for some captures and stacks and post-processing and bringing out and resolving really neat pictures of like the Triangulum Galaxy, the Andromeda Galaxy, a few nebulas like Pelican. Uh, he was having a blast getting the best out of it. And so all of us with current gear can try and get something. Bright objects like Orion Nebula and Andromeda Galaxy are great. And then other deep sky stuff if you get the gear. So we'll be talking more about that in future podcasts because that is a great time for us in the winter to spend on those subjects when you have those few clear nights because you have a long time to work with them and you're going to have a blast seeing these things and such an intimate awareness. You know, you get a familiarity with a subject that is light years away and it's a frozen in time explosion. I mean, looking at Rosette Nebula right next to the Orion constellation on the spaceweather.com picture, and it's just gorgeous seeing how this nebula created from an explosion that's taking, you know, spreading very quickly, but because it's such a vast distance, the explosion of traveling miles upon millions of miles that's traveling very quickly is frozen in time, basically, from our perspective here. It is just so cool to see. So I highly recommend getting out there for deep sky with whatever gear you have and then updating some of your gear. Maybe get the Tiffin fog filter and play around with constellations. Maybe go ahead and just go for a deep sky telescope and have some fun. Maybe spend $30,000 and get all the gear you need for a narrow band. There's a lot of fun that can be had. If you're not already thinking about it, then I would encourage you to do so. The Milky Way core is gone for a little while, but when it comes back, we can play with that again. And until then, there's a lot of fun that we can be had. So really great time being a crack addict, Aurora chaser. 
Um, I think I'll just go ahead and score some crack instead because Aurora chasing is crazy hard. And if you want to know what just could you do to be better prepared for, say, an Orion shot, steady tracker, good counterweight for a long lens, and practice. You're going to have to practice getting it and nailing your alignment, nailing your composition the way you want it, and see what you're enjoying. And then stack, 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 stack. Absolutely stack. Stack, 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 stack. That's what you're going to love. And you're going to see some detail that you never could imagine. And you know what? When you see your image, like the Rosette Nebula, and it's this tiny little like 1 20th of the size in your frame compared to the rest of the frame, you can crop in on that, post-process that, stretch its histograms in great ways in PixInsight, and make it look as awesome as Cheryl's Rosette Nebula that I saw captured recently. So have some fun with that. It was a great time in the UP. I love that area. I can't wait to get out there and just have some focused, dedicated Aurora hunting happening. I was... I don't think I ever actually technically said it, but I wanted to emphasize that because we got pushed west to the west, we went to Copper Harbor. We went all the way over to these places that we never expected to go to, and it's beautiful out in Houghton. It's a beautiful place, small cities, nothing too crazy. If you're going to get away from all the nut jobs, and I wouldn't say nut jobs, but the nuttiness of things, a nice drive out to the Great Lakes is a great option. Door County... Even going up to the Minnesota side of the Lake Superior, going towards Canada, you're going to have even more success with Aurora, getting closer and closer up there. Uh, It's gorgeous. I loved it. I'll have to do another discussion about what I loved most about the Upper Peninsula, but I had a fantastic first adventure, and I came back COVID-free, and I'm going to try and maintain my life COVID-free and not get anyone else sick if I happen to get it. And you guys have the same goal in mind, and just get out there with your camera. Have an adventure. Get out, look at the night sky. Brave the cold, and get out there more, and have some fun looking up into the dark, dark night sky of winter. If you get a December night that's totally clear, you shouldn't be thinking, oh, I'm going to do nothing else. I'm going to stay inside. No, 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 no. If it's clear, you should be thinking, i got to get out there. I'm wasting a clear night. Go. Capture Orion. Capture all the galaxies that you can. See the Messier objects. Learn what those are. Have some fun. I'll keep reminding you. Come back soon. This is Tuesday, so I have another episode coming this week to make up for some missing weeks, and I'll talk to you very soon. See you later.